This is Condopedia. Here, we talk about everything related to condo law in Ontario, with hopefully some humor mixed in. Welcome, everyone, on this rainy Thursday afternoon. I hope everybody is somewhere nice and cozy, hopefully a hot chocolate, a warm tea, a coffee on hand. Welcome to DHA's four-part Condo Crunch Deficiency Series. Uh, we thought we'd start off the year this time with some special, uh, a special series. We're going to start off today with a overview of building deficiencies, building defect series. Then we're going to do a three-part series on tarry-on. So today you're going to hear a general overview, and then the next few series are going to be very, very specific content on tarry-on. We're going to start off with an administrative overview of the general things you need to think about on building deficiencies and defects. Then we're we're going to talk about some insurance considerations and finally claims and limitation periods. We're joined today by three of my uh, colleagues. We've got David starting off and then uh, Victoria and then Christy. And we're going to jump right in because this is a half hour to 45 minute session. We promise not to keep you longer than 45 minutes, um, anywhere between 30 and 45 minutes. We don't take questions during these sessions. This is our opportunity to try and impart as much information as we can. But don't worry, as you know, we have our general Q&A sessions four times a year. So if you pile up some questions today. Keep them for our next Q&A. And on that note, let's get ourselves started. So David, if you want to go ahead and there we are, there's David. David, I'm going to turn the microphone over to you to start us off with our key administrative considerations on building deficiencies or defects. Over to you. Thanks, Nancy. So yes, my topic is uh, what key administrative considerations should a condominium be mindful of when dealing with a building deficiency claim? So your condominium is building, uh, dealing with a building defect. Oftentimes, this comes up in the form of a symptom. For example, water infiltration. The first step, and in my view, the most important step, is for the corporation to get proper expert input. Most often, this is in the form of an engineer's report. It will be the expert that will be able to confirm the cause of the symptom and link it with any identifying, identified defects. It is important to have the expert opinion because when we're dealing with such matters, the condominium needs to know what is the nature of the defect, including whether there are any health and safety concerns, whether the defect is widespread or localized, and what is the expected cost and repair timelines necessary to repair the defect. These questions are not only helpful for the purposes of a legal claim, but I think more importantly, it also provides the board with critical information that is necessary to make decisions as the matter moves along. Legal claims can take a long time, and in practice, a very common scenario that we see is where a condominium makes the repairs first and then claims the costs later as part of the legal proceeding. Having the necessary information from the expert early on would allow the board to plan ahead. Some circumstances, there may also need to be a need to differentiate between an expert who is simply conducting the investigation, i.e. identifying the defect, versus an expert who is preparing the report for the purposes of litigation. One of the most important elements that a plaintiff needs to prove in a building deficiency claim is that the defect was due to work or uh, supplies, so like the building materials, the services provided were substandard. Generally speaking, it isn't enough to just prove that there is a defect. This is an important distinction that needs to be made when corporations obtain such expert reports. 
Now, of course, I'm not saying that expert reports that only identify defects are unhelpful, but it would be more helpful if those expert reports are then paired up with a further report that provides commentary on how the defect was caused and whether any applicable standards were or were not met. Another item for the condominium's attention is the status certificate. When a condominium is informed of a deficiency, an analysis must then be taken to consider whether the issue needs to be mentioned on the status certificate. As our listeners may know, there is, if there is a risk of an unanticipated increase in common expenses or the need for an unplanned special assessment related to this issue, this item must be mentioned in the status certificate. Otherwise, the corporation risks liability if someone purchases a unit when the risk is present, asks for a status certificate that does not mention the issue, and then is hit with an increase in common expenses or a special assessment without being forewarned about this potential on the status certificate. The certificate wording also needs to be updated when the legal claim is formally started. So you may have a situation where the certificate wording is amended twice within a certain time span. First time when uh, the corporation is first made aware of the defect and is aware that there's a risk of an unplanning common expenses or special assessment. And then the second time when the claim is formally started. Another admin item to be mindful of is owner involvement and owner notification. Notifying the owners is an important item to consider because the condominium needs to let the owners know about these circumstances. Also, these matters will need to be mentioned in the periodic information certificate and uh, if applicable, the information certificate update. With respect to owner's involvement, it is not uncommon for condominiums to hold owner's meetings specifically to discuss a building defect issue particularly if the defect is widespread and or uh, expensive to repair. Such meetings can also be attended by the corporation's experts, such as lawyers or engineers, so that if owners have specific questions related to an expert's area of expertise, that person can be presented with an answer uh, live. These meetings can also help ensure that owners are apprised of developments as much as possible. Of course, there are certain limits. Uh, for example, if there's a legal proceeding, certain information are protected by privilege, such as litigation privilege, and would not be disclosed. But generally speaking, it's always better to try and keep the owners updated as much as you can. As for decision-making itself, uh, as part of a building deficiency issue or claim, it is important for a condominium to make preparations for a clear decision-making mechanism. Uh, this is because there can be occasions where decisions need to be made on an expedited basis. So for example, if we're in uh, negotiations with the other party on the matter. Many condominiums achieve this by, at the board level, having email communications and making decisions via email, which is then confirmed at the next meeting by a vote. But I've also seen instances where the condominium creates a special committee, uh, which is mandated to address this matter directly. The message I kind of want to convey on this point is that there is no one size fits all arrangement here. So a committee might work for one co community, might not work for another community, et cetera, et cetera. The important thing is to make sure that there is an effective decision-making mechanism in place so that um, if we need to make decisions on a relatively quick basis, we can do so. And those are the general administrative items to keep in mind when you're dealing with a building deficiency claim. And with that, I'm putting it back to Nancy. 
Great, David, thank you so much. So to summarize the key points from the first segment of our session today, you have to think about your status certificates, paragraph 12 and then paragraph 19, key updates. Think about expert reporting. Make sure you get those expert reports to confirm whether or not you have a claim. And if you do have a potential claim, what you're going to need to prove uh, and how you're going to prove it. Those expert reports are very important. Involving your owners, making sure that owners feel that they have a chance to ask questions if need be so that owners aren't upset, confused, etc. Not necessarily involving in decision making, of course, but just sharing of information to keep anxiety down. And then for decision making, as David said in his last point, make sure you have an effective decision making mechanism in place because it's going to be crucial as you move through that process. So the next big, uh, it, technically, I guess it's an administrative issue as well, but it's an issue all on its own. So we have Victoria handling that big issue, and that is insurance considerations. So Victoria, over to you and all we need to be thinking about when it comes to insurance in defects and deficiencies. Thank you, Nancy. So I'll be, as Nancy just said, I'll be speaking to the uh, insurance side of things when dealing with a, a deficiency and or defect. Um, so as many of you know, Section 99 of the Condominium Act confirms that property insurance must be obtained by condominium corporations in Ontario uh, for certain stated risks or perils covering the common elements uh, and standard units. And so as a starting point uh, today, all uh, condominium corporations should have this type of property insurance, insurance put in place. Now, upon learning of a defect or deficiency uh, with the common elements and or standard unit, unit, the board should always consider providing notice of it, this uh, deficiency to the corporation's uh, insurer for a few reasons. The first is that the condominium corporation might have an insurance claim for any consequential or uh, resulting damage. Uh, most condominium insurance policies contain a faulty uh, work exclusion, uh, meaning that condominium insurance policies uh, typically do not cover costs uh, incurred to rectify faulty or improper uh, workmanship design or material. However, section, nine, uh, section 99 sub 3 of the Condominium Act confirms that this exclusion does not apply to damage resulting from faulty or improper material workmanship or design. And so any consequential or resulting damage, uh, which in some cases can be quite significant, may be covered by the condominium's insurance policy. Um, and so just to provide an example of resulting damage, suppose there is uh, suppose the flashings around uh, in the windows of the condominium building are defective and as a result water entry causes damage to the common elements and or standard unit. Uh, the repair of the defect itself, that being the faulty flashing, would almost certainly not be covered by the corporation's insurance policy, but the consequential or resulting damage, that being the water damage, uh, may be covered by the corporation's insurance policy. Another reason uh, that the condominium corporation should consider providing notice to its insurer is that it's required to do so. Uh, notice must be given to the condominium's insurer of any circumstances that increases the risk of insured damage. The condominium corporation does not necessarily need to submit a claim to its insurer, uh, but it's really important to at least notify the insurer in case a claim is required at some point in the future. Otherwise, the, uh, an insurer may try to argue that the condominium is prohibited from making a claim because it failed to provide uh, proper notice. 
And so going back to my example of defective flashing, uh, if the condominium corporation became aware of the faulty flashing and decides to deal with this issue without involving its insurer and doesn't provide proper notice, but then down the road decides that it would like to submit an insurance claim, the insurer may try to argue that the condominium is prohibited from making such a claim uh, because it didn't provide proper notice. And so condominium corporations should put their uh, insurers on notice of any uh, deficiencies or potential deficiencies that might increase the risk of insured damage right away to ensure that coverage is available to a condominium should it be necessary down the road. Now, prior to submitting an insurance claim, it's really important to be proactive and gather as much information um, as you can about the deficiency and or potential deficiency. Um, as I'm sure many of you are aware, there are potential impacts on a condominium's insurability and its insurance deductible associated with making uh, several claims to a condominium's insurer. And so at the end of the day, when considering whether a condominium should make an insurance claim, the condominium will want to perform an economic analysis to determine whether it's worthwhile to submit an insurance claim in light of the potential impacts on its insurers on its insurability and its uh, insurance deductible. The more information that you have with respect to the deficiency and any resulting damage, the better able you'll be able to perform this analysis. If the condominium corporation ultimately decides to make an insurance claim, you'll want to make sure to do so within the applicable time frame, which will be set out uh, within the terms and conditions of the, uh, of the condominium's insurance policy. If you become aware of a deficiency and decide to submit a claim to your insurer, be sure to not change insurers until you've successfully submitted uh, an insurance claim. This simply avoids any argument from your insurer that you're no longer permitted to submit a claim. You also won't be able to submit, submit an insurance claim with a new insurer uh, for a risk or deficiency that was known when the new insurance policy uh, was established. And so you'll just want to ensure that you submit uh, an insurance claim to your current insurer before switching ins insurance companies. If the condominium corporation uh, submits an insurance claim, uh, but the insurer ultimately denies coverage, keep in mind that you will need to consider uh, asserting a legal claim against your insurer within the applicable limitation period, which is typically uh, one year from the date of the insurance uh, insurer's denial. This can vary from policy to policy, so it's, in, it's important to check that. You may also want to speak to your, uh, the condominium corporation's legal counsel uh, res with respect to this, and perhaps to also review the insurance policy to ensure that the denial of coverage is appropriate in the circumstances. Finally, I wanted to impress that you should not be scared to contact your insurance broker to, if you have any questions or concerns, you know, when these issues, uh, sort of issues should come up. The Condominium Corporation's legal counsel is also a really great source of information. As a final point, I, I just wanted to stress that uh, there are several sources available to a condominium, um, such as the insurance broker or Condominium Corporation's legal counsel, to assist the condominium with the insurance side of things uh, should a deficiency and or defect be discovered. Thanks, Nance. Great. Thank you so much, Victoria. So uh, just a quick recap again, making sure that you think about is there a resulting defect or resulting damage here? Do we need to contact the insurer? Do we have a duty to contact the insurer? If we are contacting the insurer, are we putting them on notice of a claim 
or are we simply giving them notice of an existing consideration that might affect the insurability or the policy? Uh, and again, looking at the economic, cons economic considerations as to whether it is viable to make such a claim in light of the current in uh, insurance market. These are really intriguing issues and really complex issues. So again, don't hesitate to reach out to your professionals if you find yourself in a situation where you might have resulting damage that is covered and you want to determine whether it makes the most sense in your particular circumstance to involve the insurer or if you have a duty to involve the insurer. So thank you so much, Victoria. Those are fantastic points that we need to be considering. So that brings us to our uh, final speaker today, Christy. And Christy's going to go over our very hot topic of claims and limitation periods. I think limitation periods is probably what scares all of us the most. So uh, Christy's going to do her best to uh, give us lots of comfort here. Christy, over to you. Thank you, Nancy, and uh, thank you all for being here. We're really excited to have so many of you here with us today. Um, I have to apologize in advance if I happen to just disappear. I have, uh, we joke around the office that we have hamsters who operate my internet here at my house and um, the internet has gone kaput. So I'm relying on uh, a hotspot off of my phone. So let's just hope my phone um, does its job and keeps me connected and keeps this from being, um, uh, keeps us from having any interruptions. Um, okay, so I am going to cover uh, available court claims and applicable limitation periods, or um, in sort of layman's terms, the associated required timing with respect to any claims. Um, anytime a condominium corporation becomes aware of a deficiency, either in terms of the original construction or in terms of subsequent repairs or maintenance work that was done on site, um, if there's a defect that's discovered, it's likely that the condominium corporation has a right of action against those who are responsible for that deficiency. So it's important as soon as you become aware that you're dealing with a defect, that you start to think about the fact that the condominium corporation likely has a claim. And once you start thinking about the fact that the condominium corporation like, likely has a claim, you have to start thinking about the timing as well. And I'm going to get to the timing momentarily. I just want to go through a couple other things first. Um, given this, it is going to be important to, and, and I say this, it might seem self-serving, but it really is important that a condominium corporation get early legal advice as soon as you become aware that you might be or are dealing with a deficiency. And when we're talking about a deficiency, we're talking generally speaking about like the defects in the work. So breaches of the building code, breaches of industry standard, a design defect that's causing damage, uh, breach of specifications if we're dealing with work that was undertaken by the condominium corporation um, under the supervision of its consultant. Uh, so anything, any, any uh, situation where you become aware that work that was done on site wasn't done properly um, and needs to be addressed and or where that that problem work is also causing ongoing damage to the to the corporation or to the corporation's property. So that's what we're talking about when we're talking about deficient work. And again, as soon as you become aware you're dealing with the defect, it's time to start thinking about claims. You, you really can't uh, take too long in terms of, of sitting and uh, thinking about it or um, you know, discussing it. it. It's important to start moving uh, a claim forward if that's what a corporation ultimately decides to do with haste. So again, First key piece of information is get early legal advice on what your claims options may be if you become aware of a defect. In terms of what your rights of recovery may be, uh, the um, 
your your rights of recovery really relate to what your damages are. So whatever the costs are that you are incurring to have to have the defect repaired and or to have the resulting damage repaired if it's not otherwise covered by your insurer as Victoria just covered, um, those costs are your damages. And that's what you would be seeking recovery for through a court claim. One of the primary considerations uh, when assessing whether or not it's worthwhile to assert a court claim is uh, the strength of the claim. And the strength of the claim ties uh, directly back to your expert reporting. Um, so I'm gonna be covering off a few things that you've already heard David and Victoria talk about. Um, and I'm, I'm gonna be covering them off obviously as they relate more specifically to, to claims. but. Um, that expert reporting that David spoke about earlier is uh, extremely important, and it's extremely important that you get expert reporting done early so that the corporation understands as, as soon as is reasonably possible what it is that it's dealing with, both in terms of um, whether or not it's a defect that gives rise to a claim, as well as what, uh, what, the, repairs, what the required repairs are going to be. There's other things as well when you're dealing with expert reporting that are going to be important to have your expert weigh in on. Um, notably, uh, are you dealing with something that's more widespread than what you're just what what you're seeing in terms of symptoms at this at the present time? So it will be important in getting a sense of the scope of the problem and the scope of the potential claim that you've got to understand from your expert. Are you dealing with a bigger problem than than the isolated? instance that you're you're dealing with um, or the the limited damage that you're dealing with is there something there that could cause additional or, or more damage in other locations or um, just additional damage in the particular location where you're seeing damage uh, so again the strength of the claim is going to be connected directly to the strength of your engineering um, input and so that's it's important to get that done early and uh, make sure that your engineer is sort of covering off all of the questions that might pop into your head in terms of understanding completely understanding what it is that you're dealing with the next factor in assessing whether or not a court claim is worthwhile is the economics associated with the claim so Again, in getting your engineering advice, you're hopefully going to have a sense of what it is that you're dealing with in terms of the scope of the claim, and hopefully your engineer can provide you with some preliminary insight on what the what the costs are going to be uh, for the repairs. Um, that information is key because in assessing whether or not it makes sense to pursue a claim, uh, you want to you don't want to be throwing good money after bad and spending more on legal fees than you're going to recover or seek to recover through the claim. So we have to balance the value of the claim being your expected repair costs against what the costs are going to be to pursue the claim or what the expected costs will be to pursue the claim. So those two economic factors are, are key. There's other economic factors and certainly other factors associated with deciding whether or not a claim makes sense, but the economics are obviously for a condominium corporation are going to be quite important. Um, so again, that just ties back to the importance of getting that expert reporting done early and getting a sense from your expert as to what your repair costs are going to be. Um, I'm going to talk now about the timing of claims, and this, this is the limitation period, the dreaded limit, limitation period that Nancy touched on. Um, and I just want to draw a quick distinction between the limitation period associated with an insurance claim, which you heard Victoria talk about earlier, and a limitation period associated with a court claim against 
parties involved in uh, deficient work. So uh, as Victoria mentioned, when you are contemplating a claim against your insurer, usually the limitation period is going to be dictated by what's in the policy. And what we typically see in insurance policies is that, that you have a one-year claim, as Victoria mentioned, to assert a claim against your insurer if they're denying coverage. That's a separate limitation period than the limitation period that's applicable to your right to assert a claim in court against the parties that are responsible for deficiencies that you've identified on your property. Generally speaking in Ontario, and many of you have probably heard this either from us or from other legal counsel, that um, there's a two-year limitation period that applies to, uh, generally applies to claims in court, civil claims in court against, and, and that would apply in, in the case of uh, claims against um, builders and uh, uh, contractors in relation to deficient work. And Specifically, the claim has to be started within two years of when you knew or when you ought to have known that you had a claim. So generally speaking, um, you're going to become aware of a claim again when either when you see symptoms of a problem or when you receive an engineering report confirming that you've got a deficiency. There can be other things that bring awareness to a condominium corporation, but those are generally the, the um, instances that we see that uh, um, like the pieces of information that inform a condominium board that you, you have a claim or you have a potential claim on your hands. What's important to note is that defendants in these claims inevitably um, will argue that you should have known sooner. So even if you get an engineer, engineering report on March 1st and of whatever year and you assert a claim within two years of, the, of your receipt of that report, Defendants are going to say there was information available to you earlier than March 1st or signs that were available to you before March 1st that should have prompted you to take action to investigate the issue sooner and to determine sooner whether or not you had a claim. So I mentioned this um, because I think it's important to highlight that uh, it's uh, timing is everything when it comes to claims. And as soon as you become aware of symptoms, that could trigger this two-year limitation period. Um, symptoms or any information really that uh, like even if it's not a symptom but you become aware of some sort some information that indicates you might be dealing with a deficiency or might be dealing with a condition on site that could cause damage to the property um, receipt that receipt of information or the the awareness of the symptom could trigger the claim so an easy example and this sort of connects back to some of what victoria was talking about is water damage if you have water damage into a unit, so you've got um, water damage on drywall or on floors, you don't know where it's coming from. You don't know that you have a deficiency. It could be from anything um, when you first see it, you, you have no clue. It may take time to investigate the problem and it may take time to determine what the source of that water is. So your awareness that you're dealing with the deficiency may not come until later, but the defendants are going to say that you should have known when you first saw that water damage that you were dealing with a problem. And that's when that time starts ticking. Ultimately, it's the court's decision as to when that two-year time frame starts running. But in order to avoid the argument as much as reasonably possible, it's always better to act quickly if possible, both in terms of getting the, the um, symptom investigated or the problem that you've become aware of investigated, and then in terms of considering court claims. If you can eliminate those arguments that you should have known sooner, add strength to your claim. And we see this 
argument with respect to timing, what, that really becomes relevant when you start to negotiate potential settlement with a defendant. Um, if they have any argument whatsoever that you should have known sooner, it will weaken your settlement position. So whether or not a court ultimately agrees with the defendant who's saying you should have known sooner, that's, that's another issue and they may or may not. But if you're looking to settle your claim, settlement can be compromised if that argument that you should have known sooner uh, is available to defendants. So my main takeaway today is that you uh, look uh, into issues as soon as you become aware of them, have them investigated by an expert and move with haste to consider asserting a claim if that's, if that's what you decide to do. The two-year time frame is there, but there's always, it's a gray area in terms of when exactly it starts running. I did also want to mention, um, there's also a 15-year limitation period. So I don't want to, it's, it's complex. The, the application of any limitation period is a complex analysis legally. So it's obviously going to be a lot for anyone to, um, uh, to digest in just one sitting like this. And so I don't want to add additional confusion, but I do want older condominium corporations to be aware of uh, a 15-year ultimate limitation period. The 15-year ultimate limitation period is a um, time frame. It's also uh, governed by the same act that governs the two-year limitation period, and the act is the Limitations Act. So the 15-year limitation period says that um, you cannot assert a claim if 15 years have passed, 15 years or more have passed, from when um, uh, the facts giving rise to the claim, the error or omission occurred. Um, so when, when the action or omission uh, took place that ultimately gives rise to a claim, um, if that took place more than 15 years ago, then you cannot assert a, a court claim. And this becomes relevant for condominium corporations with respect to original construction deficiencies. So if you're an older condominium corporation and you become aware in say year 10 that there were deficiencies in the original construction and you've now got to get those repaired you have the right to assert your claim as long as you only as long as you assert the claim within two years of discovering the defect um, you can still assert it notwithstanding the fact that 10 years have passed since the defect arose effectively um, the error or, or omission occurred but if 15 years or more have passed from that original mistake that was made at the time of construction, unfortunately, you no, no longer have a right of action against the parties involved in the original construction. You may have a claim to your insurer for resulting damage, as Victoria has talked about, but you won't have a claim against the builder and those um, involved in the original construction. So it's just something to be mindful of if you're an older condominium um, and you're hovering around the 15-year mark and you become aware of a deficiency, in addition to that two-year time frame, you also have to be mindful of whether or not 15 years have passed since that mistake happened um, on which you're now claiming. Couple other brief points, um, which I know have been spoken about by my colleagues today, but um, uh, the status certificate wording, you need to make sure that you're putting, including in the status certificate wording, not just wording with respect to the existence of the claim, but also wording um, informing potential purchasers that there are additional legal fees associated with the claim if, if you decide to assert a claim um, that may not be budgeted. So if they are budgeted, no problem. You don't need to add wording in that respect. But if if the legal fees are are um, uh, not known with certainty, 
uh, are not part of your budget, that's when you might want to consider adding or you, you will want to consider adding wording to paragraph 12 as well, not with not just with respect to the cost of repairs, but also with respect to the legal fees. Uh, the PICs, David has talked about this already, but the PIC also has to be updated once you've asserted a court claim, you have to include details with respect to the claim. Um, a Section 23 notice has to go out to owners before you can start a claim. This is um, where we would provide assistance as your legal counsel, we would make sure that you were aware of this, that you have uh, Section 23 notice that you can distribute to the owners, but I just thought I'd highlight that so that you're aware that before a condominium corporation can assert a claim, it has to provide notice of its intention to do so to the owners before. And finally, leaving aside everything I've said, you may also have a Tarian claim with respect to deficiencies that you've identified if you are still within the warranty claims period when you identify your defects. Um, we are going to actually be doing a series of podcasts on Tarion claims and the important deadlines associated with Tarion claims, but I just didn't want to not mention that because I think it's important for newer condominiums that are still within their claims um, periods to understand that uh, you, that's, a, that's a fantastic avenue for having your uh, defect addressed uh, probably more quickly and probably more cheaply than going to court. And so that's it for me. Fantastic, Christy. Thank you so much. So folks, there's a lot of things to be thinking about. And we, we know these are short snippets between 30 and 45 minutes. So we're at the 35 minute mark. I'm just going to note, we did have a lot of specific questions in the chat about specific circumstances. We unfortunately can't give independent advice on specific circumstances, uh, even live verbally. Uh, if you have specific circumstances, we do recommend that you reach out to your legal counsel as soon as possible to get those issues addressed. We also had some general comments about about Tarion. And as Christy said, we are very excited to say that we're doing a three-part series on Tarion in our podcasts. So stay tuned for that. They're going to be starting in March. Uh, late March, I believe, is our first one. And the podcasts, as well as these condo crunches, form the basis for our uh, Eastern Ontario Condo Contest, which hopefully you've all seen as well. So if you watch these condo crunches and listen to those upcoming podcasts, which will provide some great information about your Tarion uh, opportunities or your Terry on rights. Uh, there will be questions that are hidden in there. Uh, and if you check out our website, it'll show you that how the contest works and that ultimately the prize at the end of the uh, season in June is an Apple iPad. So go ahead and check out the contest, watch the podcasts. A lot of the questions that are in the chat about Tarion will be addressed in those podcasts. So please do go and check them out. And then we did have a question where people asked us if we can provide hard copies of this material. We don't actually distribute hard copies of any handwritten notes that our presenters may have made, but we do turn this session as well into a podcast. So please do go check out the podcast in a couple of weeks. David is our podcast king here. He puts those all together. And as soon as they are up and running, we do send out a blast or an e-blast to say that the podcast is up. So everything we've said today will be on a podcast on our website in short order. So we thank everybody so much for listening today. We had a huge turnout. We are grateful for your advanced questions, which helped guide our session today, for your continued questions, which will guide our next sessions and our podcast. And we look forward to seeing you at our next Condo Crunch. Thank you so much, everybody, and have a great day. Thank you for listening to this episode. You can subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. Conopedia is brought to you by Davidson Hu Allen, a boutique condominium law firm servicing Eastern Ontario.
You can find more about our firm on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, or on our website at davidsonconolaw.ca. This podcast is for information purposes only and is not intended to provide legal opinion or advice, which cannot be given without knowing the facts of a specific situation. Use of this podcast does not establish a solicitor and client relationship. The intro and outro music is provided by Purple Planet. You can find them at purple-planet.com.